Thank you so much, Leonard. Uh, as I said last week, we really have missed all of you, even those we don't know. Uh, we missed your faces, we missed your smiles, we missed your presence. You know, we, we all carry the glory of God to one or other measure. And uh, we ignite and cross-pollinate one another when we come together. God commands a blessing where we dwell together in unity. And where two or three gather or agree in His name, guess where He is? He's in our midst. So He's right here. He's right here. So give me your biggest smile that's possible for you on your face right now. But a genuine smile, not, not a, a real smile. Okay, yes, that looks good. That looks good. All right. So tonight um, we are going to talk about um, the letter, um, the letter of the law versus uh, the spirit of the law. But that's a quite a heavy uh, heading. Would you agree with me? So my wife has an amazing ability to simplify things, and so I've lent, I've, I've borrowed this term, heart versus hand. Okay, that basically expresses uh, the, uh, the, uh, the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. And we're going to talk about that. So let's kick off with Luke chapter 11, verses 42. So Luke eleven forty-two says the following. It says, but before we read this verse, I just want to say when I came to these scriptures, I thought, Jesus, you did not beat about the bush when you spoke to the Pharisees. You went right for the jugular. And you'll see that as we look at various examples of heart versus hand. Um, the, the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. So, but it's basically heart versus hand. And, uh, and Christ really, and when I read this, I thought, God, yeah, you really go for them and you gun them. So how do we, how do we apply this to our lives? And I just sensed the spirit say to me, Use it as a, as a measuring stick of sanctification. Where do you need to grow? In these areas that I'm challenging the Pharisees, which one of these areas do you need to do some realignment in yourself? Where do you lean to what the Pharisees actually were doing as well? So who you have realized there is some part of you that is a bit Pharisaical? Who, who is guilty with me in that? We do have, and it's basically blind spots of rather hand, and we'll, I'll explain now the heart and the hand thing, but rather hand than heart. And God's into the heart business. The hand has to come out of the heart, not the heart come out of the hand. That's the big mistake we make. We do the heart, we try to do the heart out of the hand. We'll understand later a bit more what I'm saying. Okay, so let's read this verse there Jesus says to the Pharisees, 11 verses 42. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important thing. So here he's saying to them, you know, you are so, so meticulous in making sure that you follow every little law to its detail, but you forget about the heart of God. You forget about loving people that are struggling. You forget about being just. You forget about loving me. But you're more interested in doing the hand, doing the tithe, doing, and not that I'm saying tithe is wrong, not at all. He says, actually, 
but you, in, uh, um, but you ignore uh, justice and the love of God, you should tithe, yes. If you want to know the New Testament scripture about tithe, there it is. You should tithe. Hello? You should tithe. But don't let tithe come out of a place of, um, comp um, not compulsion, obligation. It should come from a place, I want to tithe. But the issue is not tithe here. I'm not going to talk about tithe here. It's what's, what, what, God is, what is God confronting here. But do not neglect more important things. So the point that I believe that we can take out of this scripture is, God is saying to the Pharisees, are you, doing, are, you, are you giving from a heart place? Are you being just? Are you loving God from a place of, out of the, over the overspring, the wellspring of your heart? Or are you just doing what has to be done to come across as if you are doing everything right? Are you following the, 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 uh, the letter of the law? Mm, the law says this, and therefore we follow the law exactly. Or are you following the heart of the law? Why, why was the law given to Israel? What was the reason for it to be given? So to, to make us, to let us all feel like we're in a jail, that we compartmentalized, and if we slip up, there's a, there's a whip. That's not the reason why God gave the law. So he's saying to the Pharisees, you are uh, um, staying, sticking to the law uh, um, ridiculously. You are sticking to the law as if your life, but your heart's not in it. You're not doing it because out of the wellspring of relationship with God. You're doing it because it's a must. And how many of you, how long can, can we cope with a must in our lives? How long is a must doable? Is it doable for the rest of our lives? Or is it, I want to do something. I love to do it. Is that doable? I want to do it. I love to do it. All right. So here, the first point that we learn from this scripture is, um, that the, the God is saying to them, you must rather do a heart thing than a hand thing. Rather do relationship with me, love God, instead of the deeds of saying, oh, I, I want to have a performance or a show of, I know God and therefore I'm giving a tithe. That's not what matters to me. Where's your heart? Do you love me? Are you in relationship with, you, with me? That's more important than the works and the deeds. Is it the spirit or the letter of the law? So if we go look at the scripture that theologians usually refer to when they speak of the spirit or the letter of the law, or the heart versus the hand, we look at 2 Corinthians 3 verses 6. He says, he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. Now Paul's saying this. To, to the Corinthian church. Him and Timothy had ministered there. He has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. You see? But we have 613 laws in the Old Testament. Says this covenant is not about those 613 laws. Yes, they are an outflow of the Spirit. They are an outflow of a heart relationship with God. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. Let's look at the English Standard Version. Same verse. Who has made us, Paul is saying, God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the Amplified says it the best for me. He has qualified us, he says, Paul says here, God has qualified us, making us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, 
sufficient, you're sufficient, of salvation through Christ, not of the letter of a written code, but of the Spirit. For the letter of the law kills by revealing sin and demanding obedience, but the Spirit gives life. So the difference is, I'm doing it because I'm told to do it, or I'm doing it because I want to do it, because God has changed my heart, and I've allowed Him to soak me in His presence. I've, I've pursued relationship, and then it comes much easier to do the right thing and not to do the wrong thing. But if it's from an outside, because I'm commanded to do it, then I'm living by the hand. But where I'm saying, God, I'm pursuing you, and as I grow in relationship with you, I will become more and more obedient, because it becomes nicer and nicer to obey a daddy. So a little boy, my, when my son was small and my daughter was small, they, I would tell them to do something, and then sometimes they wouldn't do it. And more so than often, it wasn't because they didn't want to listen, they didn't know how to do it, or they'd forgotten the instruction. Or they got dis distracted. But their hearts was to obey me because they knew I loved them. And they loved me. Yes, there were times where they were directly disobedient. But nine out of ten times, there were other things that got them from not listening. Not blatant disobedience. Because they knew I loved them and they loved me in return. And they wanted, a little child wants to please its parents. And any, any educational person will tell you, especially with little kids, uh, um, there's a lot of distractions, you know, I mean, you say one thing and a second later it's out of the mind, they forget what you said, you forgot it, but we were all there, all right, so um, Christ broke uh, the letter of the law, he, him and his disciples picked grain on the Sabbath, the law forbid them to do works, to do anything on a Sabbath, David ate bread from the tabernacle, which is just meant for the priests, so it's not, it's not only that, that, we are, that Paul is saying now follow, follow the heart and follow the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. Jesus lived it. He even healed on the Sabbath. So how do we understand how this works? How do we, how do we figure this out? So uh, Charles Spurgeon said, if Christ had died for my sin, if he had died, which I believe he did... <laughs> Because Christ had died for my sin, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. Can I read that again? If Christ has died for my sin, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. But there are prerequisites, two prerequisites here. I know that I understand the value of him dying for my sin. Him getting the hiding, the Pakslav at Akferdin. Him getting it for me. I understand the depth, the width, the height, the expense of that. And he's my best friend. Then I cannot tolerate anything that, that harmed him. But then there has to be that heart relationship. For many of us are, and I'm included, are, are saved half hand, half heart. God says, I want you to move right into the heart place. Let your salvation spring forth from a place of relationship with me, first and foremost. And out of that will come where I do not want to trifle with any evil that killed my best friend. I don't want to, I don't want to be part of that. So, we need, to, we need to operate from a place where we so appreciate and we understand 
the meaning of what Jesus did for us. We have such a deep, intimate relationship with Him that we want to please Him for all that He's done for me. So there's a, a well-known preacher. Sometimes I listen to his sermons, and I know there's a moratorium now not to listen to outside guys, so don't listen to him until the moratorium is off, hey, Leonard? I don't know when it's going to be relaxed. But, but he really is a good teacher, and, and he's, I'm not going to say his name, but uh, he's... <laughs> His wife, his wife says, uh, somebody came to his daughter and said to her, um, this, uh, this, uh, she heard that somebody's been walking around every four, for 20, 30 years in church services and handing out $100 bills to people. And this is such an amazing man. And, but she didn't know who it was. And so the daughter came to him and said, Dad, it's you. I know it's you. And he said, how do you know? How do you know it's me? And he's trying to cover up. She says, because I feel the Lord told me. And he said, okay, yes, you're right. It is me. And then and his, his wife popped up and she said, you know what? Your dad appreciates so much from that which God has saved him. She so values how much sin God has had to forgive him for and still has to forgive him for that he, he, he just overflows with appreciation. And therefore, he asked the Lord, who needs finances? And you know, he's written, I don't know, this guy's written 30 plus books. 80%, most of the cases, 100% of the income of those books go into the kingdom. It doesn't go to his pocket. Because he so appreciates, he, he lives from a place of heart. So the scripture that refers to those that have been forgiven much, appreciate much, is Luke 7 verses 47. We can quickly read it. I tell you her sins, and he's talking about the prostitute. Jesus is talking about the prostitute. Her sins, that they are many, I have, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. I tell you, Jesus says, her sins, this prostitute that's weeping on my feet, crying, washing my feet with her tears, and pouring the most expensive perfume over my feet. And they are many, her sins have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. And I've experienced that in my own life. I've never been way off. I have sinned. But let it now use you as an example. But you don't mind, eh? I mean, in his high school, you were like very far from God. Am I right? I mean, that's your own confession from the pulpit. My, my son would say the same thing. But I mean, what appreciation do you have for Jesus, Leonard? I don't know, the others of you here, I've had to grow over many years of really, because somehow there's a bit of a self-righteousness in me. I haven't sinned so much. I'm okay. Who's guilty with me in that? Who's willing to own that? Yeah, thank you for being brave. And I, I've realized, hey, and I've said, God, one sin is bad as a thousand for you. One sin disqualifies me as much as the next guy that does how many other sins. So what is the heart? What is this, the spirit of the law? What is it? It's basically putting the person that you love above the law. It's simply, it's... it's let me read it for you. To follow the Spirit of the law is to simply not put the strict adherence or the following of the law above the person to whom the law is meant to serve. 
It's to put the person above the law that that law is supposed to serve. And so the whole law is summarized in two verses, in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Amen. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Does it say, obey the law of the Lord your God, which is to love him? Obey the laws for the neighbors. No, it says, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. So the law about eating bread on a Sabbath wasn't written to, it was there so that the priest can have bread. So it was a law written to feed people that are hungry. And so David, in his heart, now, I have a relationship with God. I can take bread from the tabernacle. That law is written. God loves me enough. That law, that law is written for my benefit. And when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and when he, when he, when he also uh, took wheat out of the field with his disciples because they were hungry, he knew that law is written to serve them, and it's out of a love relationship. It's a hard situation. Not a strict adherence to the law, because the law says so. We'll, we'll expand as we go on. So, so this, this, these two commandments boils down to loving God and loving people. And out of that love for God, and out of that love for people, you want to apply the law. Not, I want to apply the law, and now the law says I must love. Will you ever love? So how do we get to love God? And how do we get to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? I only know of one way, really. And that is 1 John 4, verses 19. Because he loved us, we love him. So it's a discovery of how much he loves me. That I can reciprocate that love. That I want to love God back. And that I want to love my neighbor so how do I discover how much God loves me? I ask him. I say, God, show me how much you love me. So I want to challenge you the rest of your life. Every day, make that one of your prayers. Lord, show me how much you love me. You cannot remain the same. You will change. And we spoke, uh, there was a word about fear gripping some people. The only reason I ever have fear, and the only reason I would believe any of us have fear, is because we lean too much on the hand, the letter of the law. Repercussions, performance, uh, people's expectations, all of that. My own, my own lack of uh, um, um, satisfying my own perfectionism. My own standards are not being, that causes fear. And that's not heart, that is hand. That's not heart. The heart says, I will provide, I'll make a way, even though there seems to be no way, and he will make a way. I can vouch for 53 years of God making a way. Otherwise, it would not be here. Otherwise, we'd not be doing what we're doing. God is faithful. Even though we are faithless, he remains faithful. All right. So, when we follow the heart, the spirit of the law, or the heart and not the hand, and we sin, all of us sin on a daily basis, would you agree with me? And we do sin. We, are we condemned and rejected? Does God apply that heavy law upon us? Or does he apply his heart of love upon us? Because he already satisfied everywhere where we falter. He satisfied on the cross. 
He's satisfied. So, so basically, if we, if we go look at Romans 3 from verse 19 um, right through to chapter 4, it speaks of imputed righteousness. Now, imputed is a big word, given. Given holiness. Given righteousness. And you get given this righteousness. The scripture doesn't say, by that you obey all the laws, the Ten Commandments, 100%. It doesn't say that. It says you get given holiness by one thing alone. And what is that? You must go read those verses. Faith. Faith. Righteousness is given to you by faith and faith alone. And out of that heart relationship comes the hand. Out of that intimacy, out of knowing, wow, God has made me holy still while I'm sinning. He's making me holy. I repent and he forgives me immediately. He loves me. He's, made, he's given it free of charge just by faith. The scripture says God has made uh, Abraham who was wicked, righteous, just because he had faith. Abraham didn't have the Ten Commandments. So th this, is, this is how God operates in the heart towards us. He had a heart relationship with the Israelites before before the Ten Commandments. And we're not throwing the Ten Commandments away, but I'm saying we will never be able to do the Ten Commandments unless we discover the love of God for us. Because when we discover that love and an intimate relationship with Him, we want to love Him back. And it becomes easy to obey God. It becomes easy. And you're no longer drawn to the wrong things. You are drawn to God. You are drawn to... And many of you have already experienced that. There are just some areas where we're having glitches. And it's those glitchy areas where we say, God, show me your heart. Expose your hand that's in my life. Expose not your hand. Expose the flesh, the hand that, that I'm operating from. So if we, if we go look at the immoral woman in Luke 36 to 50, we're not going to read it. I just want to just, just uh, shortly share the story with you. And it's that piece where Christ says, those that have been forgiven much, appreciate much. So this, this woman comes to the Pharisee's home. The Pharisees invited Jesus to have a meal with him. And this prostitute comes. And, um, and she falls down at Christ. Now, Christ is on the ground. Now, now I'm trying to figure out, I would imagine, because this is, she, it's, the word says she was behind him, washing his feet with, his, with her tears. So how would you sit, Who's, who doesn't mind, sitting on the floor now, how would you sit that your feet are behind? That a prostitute can wash, her, wash your feet with her tears. Somebody, just one of you youngsters, yeah. How would you sit, and how would I be able, if I, no, one, oh. <laughs> not me. Okay, sit, but your feet have to be behind you. Yeah, so sit lekker gemakkelijk, sit plat, I say. So I reckon this is the only way that Christ could have sat. Am I right? Scripture says she was behind him. Do you know how broken she was about her sin? Have you ever been that broken about your sin? I'm sure you have. <laughs> so she was washing the soles of his feet with her tears and pouring out the most expensive perfume on the soles of his feet, and drying the soles of his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee judges her. Do you see how far off the Pharisee is from the heart of God?
and he's, he's, he's um, disgruntled. He is, um, I haven't preached for quite a while, so you can see I'm at a loss for words. You need to help me, David. He's disgruntled. He's, he's disgusted. How dare this prostitute touch a holy man like Jesus? She's not even permitted in his house, and now she just bursts in and does that. And according to his laws, and she may not be close to him. And Jesus says, no. Pharisee, you are wrong. You are judging according. You're following every rule and law religiously. You're not applying the love of people above the law. You're not applying the love of God as preemptive to the law. So we love God, and out of that, we want to do things that are right. We love people, and out of that, we want to do things that are, uh, that are right. And the Pharisee had twisted that around. He was obeying the law religiously with no love. And not letting the love supersede the law. You, you getting this? He's not allowing love for people and love for God to be more important than the law. So he, what, what do you think the Pharisee was missing? He was saying, sinful woman, sinful woman, how dare she, how dare she? What, what sin could we kind of identify in him that he's not seeing? Anyone? Pride. Self-righteousness. Prejudice. He was prejudiced towards. He didn't think of his own. So he couldn't see it. He was wanting to throw the first stone while ignoring his own sin. He was not considering the heart of the law in loving the immoral woman. He was judging her for her sin. Now, the challenge, first challenge, where do we judge and shun others personally? Where do we apply the hand stronger than the heart in our view and approach of others? Are there some friends that really frustrate us and irritate us? Am I, I see some people laughing. Am I applying hand or heart there? I'm applying hand. Uh-uh. Apply love. Apply heart. Not hand. So, are there acquaintances? People that I just know. People, classmates, uh, colleagues at, at work that frustrate and irritate. Are there family members that frustrate and irritate us? Are there brothers and sisters here that frustrate and irritate us? And make, make the same mistake. Over, they keep saying this silly little thing over and over again that offends me. And I get upset with them. And I and I'm, I'm really want to apply the hand of anger, frustration, impatience. The fruit of the flesh upon them in my reaction. Because I don't see how many sins I repeat over and over again. How many of us here do not repeat a sin presently? Raise your hand. Yes, I wish somebody would raise your hand and come pray for me. Okay. So we all here co commit sins over and over again. Would you agree with me? But yet, we want to judge and shun others. Like the Pharisees. So you see, we're not Pharisees. I know we're not. We have a relationship with God. But we sometimes lean on the Pharisaical side. Who agrees with me? Amen. Amen. So enough of my work. I have to apply this before I can teach it to you. So the Lord's really been hard on my case during this sabbatical. <laughs> All right. So he missed his own, he missed his own sin. Um, is it a nice little point I want to make. Do the law because you love God and people. Not love God and people because of the law. You got that? 
Do the law because you love God and people, not love God and people because of the law. That slight difference makes a world of difference. So if we go look at the preamble to that verse we read, 2 Corinthians 3 verses 6, where, where Paul says, I do not follow the spirit, I do not follow the letter of the law, but I follow the spirit of the law. Remember we read in the beginning? Do you remember it vaguely? Okay. Should we go back to it? Let's quickly go back. So the person behind the computer, let's go back to that verse. Um, it's right in the beginning. I think it's, yeah, it's the second verse we've ever read. So here, Paul, I want to read in the Amplified. Second verse in the Amplified. Have you got it? Is it up there? Yes, wonderful. He has qualified us, Paul says, he has qualified us, making us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant of salvation through Christ, not of the letter, of a written code, but of the Spirit. For the letter of the law kills by revealing sin and demanding obedience. Demanding, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit is intimacy. So let's, let's go look at verses 1 to 5. What is Paul speaking about here? Why, why, does, he, why does he come to, to share this? Um, and verses 1 to 5, we're not going to read every verse. I'm just going to tell you what he says there. He says there to the Corinthian church, Myself and Timothy have not come to you with qualifications. We've not come to you with credentials. We don't have a letter, a letter from so-and-so Pharisee, so-and-so uh, uh, um, religious leader. We don't have a letter of approval. What we do have is the effect of the Spirit in your lives through our lives. What we do have is the way your lives have changed because of the word we've taught you, because of the example we've been to you. That's our letter of approval. That's our heart impartation. Not a letter that qualifies him, but I don't have a relationship with you. You know how many organizations work like that? Praise God, we don't. We work out of relationship. So leaders are in relationship with one another, and therefore we submit to one another. It's not a top-down thing. So our, our, our elders that direct, or the elders, uh, uh, even Andrew himself, he's the first among equals. Yes, he, he has to make decisions on all of our part, but yet he's equal to submit to each one, one of the other elders. He's even come to a place where he says, if any brother or sister in Christ comes and tells me something, I have to listen to it. Because God can use anybody to speak to me. All right, so Paul's saying, I'm not coming with all these qualifications. The challenge is for us, the next challenge is, does someone have to have credentials or status or church position to speak into my life? So we're talking about heart versus hand. The hand says he has to be an elder, he has to be this, he has to be a comm leader. No. I don't believe somebody, if God can use a donkey, he can use an unsaved guy from the street. And I've heard of testimonies where God has used unsaved people just to say something without even thinking what they're saying. And God has spoken to children of his. So if God can use a donkey, which he did, and he spoke to Balaam when Balaam wanted to curse the Israelites, God can use anyone without credentials, without status, without position to speak into my life and your life. So, um, what's it, 521, I have to wrap up. 
a personal testimony that happened now Tuesday. So my default, my hand in, in meetings is I prepare significantly. I, I make lists. We're going to say this and ask this. And I think, Leonard, you also the same, eh? Or not so much. Hopefully you're not as bad as I am. So I make lists and prepare, da-da-da-da. So whenever we get the comm leaders together or I have to preach or whatever, I prepare lists and I think... And this Tuesday, I just felt, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to faith it. And I used to be like that as a missionary. Um, I've, I've, I've left that, 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 that radical faith, and I've gone into more organizing, preparing. And God is saying, I want you to move a bit more center. You are, you are too planned, too pre-organized. You need to just relax in me a bit more and let my spirit flow. Do it by the spirit. Do it by my heart. And so we didn't, I, I, we, none of us. And we just sat there, we shared about our sabbatical, the, the, the comm leaders shared about their outreaches, and then someone said something. And we all said, we must worship God. There was, somebody said something profound, I can't remember what it was, it was Tuesday night. And uh, Talana, do you remember what the profound thing was? Okay, none of us, so it's not only the old man, she's a young one. So, do you remember? Oh, somebody was sharing about a song in Namibia, and then Nordine felt, let us all just worship. And so we just started worshiping. And as we started worshiping, we just said, we need to pray for that brother. And we went to pray, and they just started prophesying over him. And then someone else stood up and said, pray for me. And someone else stood up and prayed for me. And it was just spontaneous flow of the Spirit. It was probably one of the best leaders' meetings we've ever had. And none of it was planned or organized. It was just by the Spirit. Now, if you're not a planner and you don't organize, your hard thing might be to plan and organize because it'll take more from you, take more effort from you. Your flesh says, I'm, I'm too lazy to plan or organize. Your flesh says, I, I forgot. Or I'm not interested. I'm not bothered. For you, the heart might be to plan and organize. For me, the heart is not to plan and organize right now where I am at. But for some of us that never plan or organize, never draw up a list, you, your growth point, your heart point might be, and the spirit will flow because you've taken time to wait on him and to get guidance. So I'm not saying don't plan, don't organize. What's less flesh in you? What's more spirit? Do the more spirit and do less of the flesh. Do more heart than hand. You follow? All right. So, if we go look at um, examples of heart versus hand, we're just going to look at two or three verses and then we're done. Luke 11 verses 39 says, now Christ confronts them again. He says, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Imagine saying that to someone. Who of you would dare to say that to anybody today? Anybody's got the guts to say that? Yes, this is rough. Christ didn't beat about the bush. He went for the, for the throat with his religious leaders. They were misrepresenting him 1,000%. They did not represent the God they so-called represented. They didn't. They represented Satan, actually. He says, you're a brood of vipers. Satan's your father. 
So he says, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. So the point here, the hand point here that we have to learn from is they lived a life of pretense. Should we read it again? Do you see that? You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. So they are full of pretense. Hulle sit a voor, a front voor, for the Afrikaans speakers. Hulle sit a front voor, a show. They're putting on a show. They are in pretense, pretense of caring and giving and being kind. We need to ask God, Lord, rid me of the hand of pretense so that I can have the heart of genuine care and love. And many of us vacillate between the two. Who's guilty with me in that? Sometimes it's from the heart. Sometimes it's pretense. And God says, hey, I want you to fall into the heart here, not the hand anymore. So Christ's solution is radical. Verse 40 to 41, Jesus says, fools. He says to the, imagine I call you Godfrey, fool. Not that you are. Fool. You're not a fool. Although we don't mind being fools for Jesus, hey, I'm a fool. Okay, you can call me a fool. All right. I'll be a fool for Jesus. Fools. Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving that which is the closest to your heart. Wealth. Giving to the poor, and you'll be clean all over. Giving that which you worship away, because they worship money. They were greedy. Remember the, the other verse we read? You are greedy, stingy. So when you give to the poor, it's not your flesh. It has to be a hard thing. It has to be a something. You can't do that because you, you, so, you so depend on finances. I'm sure many of us are not worshippers of money, but they were. But when you give something that's hard to give away, when you do something that's hard to do, you're putting a death to the hand and you're giving life to the heart in relationship to God. Next verse. We're nearly done. Luke 11 verses 43. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. What does that say to us? They love human adoration. They love approval and recognition. They actually want to be worshipped. I'm the first one to say I love to be adored. Who's guilty with me? Who loves to be adored? Who wants human approval? Who wants brothers and sisters approval and recognition? Who's guilty with me? We all want it. Am I right? And God says, work on that. That's not my heart. The only approval that you need and you must desire and yearn is whose approval? Jesus. Relationship with Jesus, first and foremost. Recognition from Jesus. Adoration from Jesus. Next verse. All right. And the next verse is um, 11 verses 46. Yes. 
said Jesus. What sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law, for you crush people with the unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease that burden. What's the hand in here? And what's the heart? They were so performance-orientated. They were so critical. They were so perfectionistic, unrealistic, and unfair expectation of others that they destroyed other people. It says there, what sorrow awaits you, experts of religious law, for you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger. So you are perfectionistic towards others. They must perform. You are critical towards them. You have unrealistic and unfair expectation of others. And you know what? I would believe that many of us might not necessarily have it of others, but we have it of ourselves. So you're applying the hand on your own life and not the heart of compassion and love. Amen and Aina. Yeah, watcha. Amen and Aina. <laughs> All right. Let's close our eyes. We're done. Let's close our eyes. So, Father, we've spoken of many things tonight. We've spoken of pretense. We've spoken of uh, expectations, un unrealistic expectations, perfectionism, human approval, recognition, adoration. We've spoken of judging others and not loving them more than applying rules and regulations. We've spoken about wanting to obey you without having a love relationship or love for you. We've spoken all these things, Dad. Holy Spirit, we need your help. I desperately need your help. Mac needs you to save Mac from Mac. Those of you that want to cry out to God tonight and say, God, help me stand up now. I'd like you just to stretch out the palms of your hands in a surrender mode, in a receiving mode to the Lord. And pray the following prayer after me. And after that, you pray your own prayer. I just want to lead us in a basic prayer. Say, Jesus, please save me. Lord, I give you my willingness. I will give you my cooperation. Holy Spirit, be on my case. In the minutest detail where I follow the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. Where I do the hand rather than the heart. Where I do the flesh rather than the spirit. Lord, be on my case. I ask you in Jesus' name. And enable me to be obedient. Because I want to get rid of all hand in my life. I want the heart of God and the Father. And from that, the hand has to flow, not vice versa. Father, show me where I have dead works. I want to have spirit-filled works out of relationship with you. In your name, precious God, Jesus Christ. I'd like each one of you just to have your own personal prayer with the Lord now. Whatever God's highlighting, speak to Him right now. Just your own time with God.